You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before I begin, I do need to just mention, for those of you who are watching online who are wondering who I am, <laughs> my name is Paul Lester, and I'm just one of the assisting pastors here, and it's my privilege to stand in for Pastor Damien this morning and continue our series on looking at God's attributes. And so we turn now to the next of the, of the attributes of God that we're looking at, Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. And John in heaven tells us that he heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thunderings saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Well, Heavenly Father, this morning we have come to this place to do as you so richly deserve, and that is to bring our lives before you as a living sacrifice. Lord, to give up the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to your name and giving you all that you deserve through the worship and the praise that we have just expressed. Father, we pray now that you would speak to us through your word. We understand that your word, as you have promised, does not return void, but that it accomplishes all that you intended to. And this morning, we would ask that your word would find a place of deep and good and healthy soil in our hearts where you might plant your word deeply, watering it by your spirit to produce a great harvest for your kingdom. Father, we pray also that you would rebuke our enemy. Lord, we recognize that any time we open the scripture that Satan is not pleased, and most especially when you are the focus of our time in your word. And so, Lord, this morning we ask that you'd rebuke the enemy, that he would have no place in our hearts or minds to keep us from hearing, from understanding, from apprehending, and rejoicing over this next attribute that we'll study this morning. And we know that you will do all this and more because we ask it confidently in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, in our opening scripture, the apostle John records for us this glorious scene at the end of the tribulation there in heaven. As he hears the angelic host And all of the saints erupt into spontaneous and thunderous praise over the defeat of Satan and the Antichrist. And John records for us there in chapter 19, verse 6, the words that they begin to sing, the praise that comes from their lips. They say, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. The word omnipotent simply means all power, omni, the Latin for all potent, speaking of power, so all power. And of course, and logically, anyone who can defeat the devil and the Antichrist and an entire planet that follow after them and then take back the earth must have great power. And so in our continuing study of the attributes of God, we move now to his omnipotence an attribute that probably most, if not all of you are familiar with. Now again, that's a little different than our first two attributes where we looked at God's actuality, fancy word to describe that he is pure existence and that everything else exists only at his good pleasure. And then we looked at his aseity that speaks that he is self-sustaining, he needs nothing from his creation, but all that he is is all that he needs. And while those were maybe a little bit more heady or academic, nonetheless, as we saw in our previous studies, there is a solid biblical foundation for those and great blessing to know who he is. But now we turn to an attribute that we're more familiar with, and that is his omnipotence. And as I've already explained, the Bible means that that, by that means that God has all power and since God is infinite in his being and his nature, That is, he has no limits. Therefore, what power he has is also infinite. And that is to say that his power is without limit, it's inexhaustible, and it's uninhibited. Now again, compare that to everything else in creation. 
whether it be the, the universe itself or human beings or animals or empires, whatever, everything else has only a limited amount of power and it is all running out. Physics tells us today that, that, uh, that the power or the energy that's available in the universe is actually being depleted. Moment by moment, day by day, as the stars of our universe convert hydrogen into, into helium, that energy that's expressed as heat is lost and can never be regained. And so literally our very universe is running out of energy. But not so with God. His energy is inexhaustible, uninhibited, and without limited, or without limit. You cannot deplete the power, the might, and the energy that God has. So omnipotence means he has all power, all power, all might, all strength. But we also need to define what omnipotence is not. And this can be confusing at first, and so I want you to hang with me. But omnipotence does not mean that God can do anything. Now, for some of you, you're like, whoa, now, Pastor Paul, I was with you up until that point, but I seem to remember Jesus saying in Matthew 19, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Pastor Paul says all things right there. And I would encourage you, you go back and read the text in context. And the question was, how is it that a man or a woman can be saved? Because Jesus had just taught the disciples in Matthew 19 that it is difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And in the Hebrew thinking of the first century, that blew the minds of the disciples because the teaching of the day by the rabbis was that material wealth was a sign of God's pleasure, his blessing upon a life. And they were thinking if the rich can't be saved, then how in the world will the poor like themselves be saved? And Jesus' response was, with men it is impossible, but with God all things are, are possible. In other words, we cannot save ourselves, rich or poor, tall or short, thin or fat, good looking or not, we cannot save ourselves. It is an impossibility. But with God, anyone and everyone can be saved by the perfect sacrifice offered by the Lamb of God. Jesus was speaking then, concerning our salvation. What he was not saying is that God can do by his great power anything. In fact, it's clear, the testimony of the Bible, is that there are many things that God cannot do. By way of example, let me just give you a few. The author of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter six, verse 18, that God cannot lie. Not that he doesn't lie, not that he chooses not to tell an untruth. By his very nature, he can only speak and exist in truth. He literally cannot tell an untruth. He cannot lie. Nor can he deny himself, as Paul tells Timothy. Nor can he be tempted by evil, as James tells us. Nor, as Habakkuk tells us, can he condone sin, nor can he look upon it with favor. And finally, Hebrews tells us once more that God cannot swear by anyone greater than himself, for he is, in fact, the greatest of all. In other words, God's unlimited power, his omnipotence, does not make it possible for God to do anything that would be contradictory to his nature, like lying, nor to do that which is actually impossible. Well, wait a minute. (laughs) What do you mean actually impossible? Well, by way of example, we mean that God cannot make a square into a circle. No, squares and circles by definition are different. A square can never be a circle. A circle can never be a square. They cannot be the same thing, and simply having all power doesn't make what is actually impossible possible. And the point is that omnipotence doesn't say God can do anything. What it says is he possesses all power. But all power doesn't make what's actually impossible possible. And so omnipotence means that God is able to do all that is possible to be done. And that's an important distinction. I don't mean to belabor it, but I do want to do so this morning because when you run into an atheist, even a very brilliant atheist like Stephen Hawking, the late Stephen Hawking, a brilliant physicist, they will often try to present a paradox to Christians to try to prove to you that God cannot be omnipotent. So for example, late Dr. Hawking said, and I quote, 
Is God omnipotent question to the Christian? And then his response. If he is, can he create a rock so heavy that he cannot lift it? Now, (laughs) if you've ever heard that argument before and been stumped by it, let me tell you that that is a silly and uh, argument. Hawking believed, and whatever atheist you might run into who poses that same question, believes it's a paradox that Christians cannot answer. Because on the one hand, if we say, no, 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 God cannot create a rock so heavy that he cannot lift it, then Hawking would laugh and shake his finger at you and conclude that God must not be all powerful because he's limited in what he can do. In other words, he can't make that rock so big. On the other hand, if we say, well, yes, God can create a rock so heavy that he cannot lift it, then Hawking and your atheist friends laugh again and say, ha ha, then God is not omnipotent because he can't lift that rock. Now, the point is it all sounds very clever and like a catch-22, some philosophical argument to prove that God is not omnipotent, but it's really just a silly statement that doesn't prove anything other than that the person asking it is not a good philosopher. And for the great mind in terms of physics that Stephen Hawking had, he was a very poor philosopher. By way of example, C.S. Lewis, who was a great philosopher, observed, and I quote, nonsense is still nonsense even when we speak about God. In other words, if you come up with some nonsensical thing, it, it, it doesn't make it true just because you talk nonsense about God. In the example of Hawking's statement, it's nonsense because it's a logic fallacy. In other words, you're comparing two things that can't be compared. It would be like saying, hey, apples are more nutritious than razor blades because they're red. What? I mean, if somebody said that to you, you think, okay, we are gonna need to take a break here and do a blood test because apparently your brain is not working because apples and razor blades are not in the same category. You can't shave with an apple, you can't eat a razor blade and find nutrition. They're in two different categories. They cannot be compared one with another, nor can you limit an apple in its nutritional value by a razor blade, nor limit a razor blade in in its ability to shave the fuzz off your face with an apple. They just don't compare. They're two different things. So it is with Hawking's argument. The point is, and by the way, Stephen Hawking, toward the end of his life, confessed this to be true, God and rocks are not in the same category. And he knew that, and if you want to read about it, you can read about it in a book called Show Me God by Fred Harim, where he interviews Hawking, and towards the end of his life, Hawking admits that the universe is finite, it's limited, and there must be an infinite beyond it. And Hawking would agree, at least he did to the end of his life, that by definition a rock or anything else in the created universe is by definition finite. It can't be infinite, but God is. And God who created rocks and the entire material universe must therefore by definition be infinite. In other words, he has no beginning, he has no end, he has no limit in his size nor in his power. And therefore, it would actually be impossible for something finite to ever be heavier or larger than he who is infinite. And so Hawking's argument is, as C.S. Lewis pointed out, simply nonsense and in no way and in no mean or by no means proves that God is not omnipotent. The bottom line is that when Stephen Hawking made that statement or when your atheist neighbor or friend or family member tries to trip you up with that kind of a question, they clearly do not understand what the word omnipotence means. It means God has all power. It does not mean that he can do what is actually impossible, like create a rock bigger than himself. Well, friends, we want to look for a biblical foundation for God's omnipotence. We read there in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, that God is omnipotent. What's interesting is that from Genesis to Revelation, the 57 times that it attributes this all power to God, only in Revelation 19:6 does it use the word omnipotence. In every other example, both in the Old and the New Testament, God is simply referred to as the Almighty. In other words, all might, all power, all strength. And let me give you a few examples just so that you can have these in your thinker 
and so that you understand that what we're communicating today isn't Pastor Paul's hobby horse. No, this is a biblical attribute described and attributed to God. Genesis chapter 17, verse one, God appeared to Abraham, and listen to what he says to Abraham. I am almighty God, and then his command to Abraham, therefore walk before me and be blameless. By the way, a little side note, Abraham and you and I cannot walk before God blameless without his power. Psalm 91, verse one, the psalmist tells us that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, in other words, you and I who find refuge in God, listen, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty safe place to me, right? Depending on, it doesn't matter if it's earthquake or, or tornado or nuclear war, there is shelter under the shadow of the Almighty. In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6.18, the Apostle Paul writes that God said, I will be a father to you, speaking to you and I as believers, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And then perhaps one of my favorite expressions is found in Revelation 1.8 because it attributes all power, all strength, all might to the Son of God, Jesus himself. A clear proof text that Jesus must be God. In other words, omnipotence belongs to God alone. Whoever has omnipotence must be God. And in Revelation chapter one, John on the island of Patmos, he hears a sound behind him like a, like a trumpet, this, this voice that you cannot ignore. As he turns to look at the source of the voice, he hears Jesus say the following. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And that's significant because from cover to cover in the 57 times that the word almighty is used in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is never applied to people, it's never applied to a king, it's never applied to a man, it's never applied to an angel, whether fallen or holy, it is only and exclusively applied to God himself because only God has all power. And then finally, if we're still confused about who has all power, listen to what God says to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 40, verses 25 and 26. He says to the children of Israel, to whom then will you liken me? Oh, you're gonna worship idols? Well, let's just bring them out. Get all your little statues and stack them up, your little wood carved thing, your little silver and gold idols, and get them all out there, and you're gonna compare them <laughs> to me? To whom shall I, shall, or excuse me, or whom shall I be equal? In other words, that's your best shot, says the Lord God. And God then calls on mankind to look at the evidence that declares that he and only he has all power. And Isaiah says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. In other words, who spoke the worlds into existence? Who brings out the host by number? In other words, as the stars come out at night, as we begin to see them twinkle in the night sky, he asks who brings out their host by number and who calls them by name. In other words, every single star, every single planet, everything in creation, God has named and he knows their name. And then he tells us how it was done. He says, by the greatness of his might and by the strength of his power, not one is missing. In other words, God's omnipotence is on full display and his exceeding strength on full display in the starry heavens above, just as it says in Psalm 19 and just as Paul writes in Romans 1, the truth is that the creation speaks all day, every day to us that God exists and that his power is unlimited and that he is magnificent in his omnipotence. Well, that's cool. Let's think about the implications. In other words, if we're gonna accept the Bible for what it says to be true about God, that is all power, all might, all strength, what in the world does that mean? By way of implication to you and me this morning and everything else in creation. Well, number one, it tells us because God has all power, it means that any power that exists in the universe, whether it's a physical power like within a person or an animal, or a spiritual power like in Michael the archangel or the fallen angel Lucifer who became Satan, 
or in the natural world, all that power has its source in the omnipotent God who gave that power and at his discretion can remove that power. That is, since God possesses all power, it follows then that he gave all the power that we observe in the universe, again, whether in the natural realm, the physical realm, the human realm, the, uh, the animal kingdom, or in the, in the spiritual realm, it has all been given by God. And, therefore, that God has the authority to limit the amount of power that is used by those to whom he has given it. And therefore, God, as the giver of all power, retains the right to remove that power if the one to whom he gave it uses it in a way that would be displeasing to God. And let me give you a number of examples. I think of proud and arrogant people. <laughs> we go all the way back to Genesis and we find that pride has been the root problem of every sin that mankind is involved with. And perhaps the pinnacle of pride that we read about in the Old Testament was the King Nebuchadnezzar who held sway by his mighty power over a kingdom that reached from Africa all the way to Egypt. And he was warned in a dream, a dream that he did not understand, but Daniel was able to interpret for him that his pride would be his fall. And Daniel begged King Nebuchadnezzar, listen to the dream, don't transgress, keep your pride in check. But nonetheless, not just a year later, as Nebuchadnezzar walked out onto his balcony, and as he looked over the magnificent city of Babylon, here's what he said as the Bible records it. From his lips, Nebuchadnezzar declared, is this not great Babylon? And now listen to his pride, that I have built for a royal dwelling, listen, by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. Well, at that point, if you were on the palace balcony, you would have wanted to take a step back just in case the Lord was going to deal with him with lightning or some sort of thing and take him out. But the reality is that the book of Daniel tells us that no sooner had the words fallen from his lips that a voice from heaven was heard to declare, this decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the Holy One in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he wills. In other words, the power that is expressed, the power that is possessed by any king, any dictator, any ruler, ultimately has its source in God and he can remove it in a moment's time. And that's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He was struck and for the next seven years he was reduced to the intellects of an ox crawling around on all four, eating grass like a cow and living in a pasture. And after seven years had passed, God restored his mind and Nebuchadnezzar now with a clear mind and a clear understanding of who is omnipotent, he wrote concerning God, and I quote, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth, and by the way, Nebuchadnezzar would include himself in that now, are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And again, he includes himself in this. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? That is, Nebuchadnezzar now confessed that he had come to know and he now testified to the entire population over which he ruled by God's grace that there is only one God and that he is omnipotent, he is the source of all power, and he gives that power to whomever he will and he can remove it in a moment's time. Well, that's a wonderful example we find in the Old Testament, but I love the example we see in the New Testament. And that's in John's Gospel in chapter 19. That is, we find the same testimony that God gives and that God can take away in a moment of time to those who misuse their power. In John 19, we find Jesus having been beaten by the religious leaders, brought to Pontius Pilate for condemnation. 
Pilate comes to understand that Jesus is innocent and he's looking for some way to release him and he becomes frustrated because Jesus up to this point is silent. He doesn't speak at all. His head is down. His body is bloodied and bruised. He doesn't look at Pilate. He doesn't speak to Pilate. And finally, Pilate becomes frustrated and he cries out to Jesus, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know, now listen to the words of Pilate, that I have power to crucify you and the power to release you. (laughs) Oh, you go back and read John 19, and at that moment, for the first time, Jesus looks at Pilate, and he opens his mouth, and he says to Pilate, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. And John tells us in chapter 19 that Pilate was fearful. He saw something in Jesus' eyes, heard something in his voice that told him this is a really, really bad idea to be involved in this man's crucifixion. There was a power behind Jesus that he did not understand, but it brought great fear in his life. And the power that Jesus spoke of was the power of the omnipotent God to give power to anyone that he desires to, but he can take it away in a moment's notice. And so here we have clear testimony from Jesus himself that the power exercised by men and women is a gift of God alone who possesses all power. And yet God retains his authority and is able to take that power back from the people who do not suit his purpose and plans. It's not just people. It's the angelic host. Now, those who are not Christians but count themselves spiritual. In other words, they believe in the realm of the spirit. And then even some young believers who don't really know the Bible very well are under the wrong impression that somehow Satan and God are equal. And that there's this great cosmic battle determining, you know, is it gonna go towards the good and the light or is it gonna go towards you know, evil and darkness? And we see that exemplified in the Eastern, uh, Eastern pagan religions where they have the yin-yang, the power of light and darkness and male and female. And supposedly there is this balance in the universe, this force you know, that can be manipulated or whatever. But no, nothing could be further from the truth. The reality is that Satan, or Lucifer as he was known before his fall, is just a created being. He was spoken into existence just as God spoke the universe into existence, just as God created mankind, just as God created all things. Satan did not exist for all of eternity. He was created by God, originally as a holy angel, to cover the very throne of God with worship, but pride was found in him and he was cast out. And what we're reminded of here is that the only power that Satan has, the only power that Satan can use is the power that God has given to him and he's limited in how far he can use it. That is God, who is all powerful, has Satan, who is not, on a very short leash. And let me give you two examples, one Old Testament, one New Testament. In the first two chapters of Job, we read that Satan came before God and asked permission to bring an attack against Job. In other words, he wasn't able to advance any evil against Job or his family or his possessions without God's clear and distinct permission. And you read in chapter one and two of Job, God put a limitation on how far he could go. In the New Testament, we find that same limitation in the Gospel of Luke, where the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus warns Peter of his coming fall. And he says to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan, listen, has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Jesus' response to that request He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now, friends, I want you to notice in both Job's experience and Peter's experience that Satan did not come and demand that God would surrender Job or Peter. He didn't force God to relinquish his protection over Job or Peter. No, Satan had to ask He had to beg, he had to plead with God like a whiny two-year-old for permission to use what little power he had against God's people. Now that, by way of application, brings us good news 
and bad news, and let me give it to you. The good news is that Satan cannot use any of the power that he has against you and I as a child of God without first receiving permission from God to do so and only with limitation. And again, that's because Satan is limited in power and the only power he has is the power that God has given him. Furthermore, God will only allow Satan to work in our lives as he did in Job's experience and Peter's when God already knows the outcome. In other words, for all Satan's evil intentions, for all of his power that he would use to destroy us, all it will ever do when God allows him to work in our life is to produce goodness and greater sanctification in our life or in the lives of the people that watch us endure Satan's attacks. So the good news is Satan is limited. He can't come against us unless God tells us or lets, allows him to do it. And when God allows him to, God already knows it's gonna produce good in our lives. Now here's the bad news. <laughs> Christians don't get to blame Satan for the sin that you and I commit. In other words, you can't, as there are in some segments of the body of Christ, typically on the really hyper-Pentecostal side, this tendency to say, the devil made me do it. Whether they say, well, man, it was a spirit of lust. I, I didn't commit adultery because I wanted to. It was a spirit of lust that came upon me. Or they say, no, it's a spirit of smoking, and that's why I continue to smoke. Or a spirit of this, a spirit of that. No, no, Satan can tempt us, but he cannot make us sin. And the reality is that when we sin, it's not because the devil made us do it, it's because you and I have failed to apprehend the power that is available to us from the omnipotent God who lives inside of every believer in Jesus Christ. Paul reminded his friends at Corinth, by the way, a very immoral and corrupt city of this truth when he writes, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Whoa, wow. And by the way, it's not if, like question mark, it's since. In other words, he who took the dead body of Jesus and brought it back to life lives in us. Paul says, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, you have all the power, I have all the power necessary to resist the devil, to resist temptation, so that I do not sin. And when I do sin, and when you do sin, we can't say, well, it was the devil who made me do it. I'm clean here. No, no. We failed to apprehend the power of the omnipotent God who lives within us. James expresses it this way, James 4, 7, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. His instruction, therefore, submit to God. In other words, you go ahead and just re, you know, submit to God, surrender to him, call upon his power, and then James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Why? Because the omnipotent God dwells within you and when you surrender to that God, there's nothing that Satan can do against you. And so you and I can rejoice this morning that Satan is no match for the almighty God. He is not on an equal plane at all and that the power he has has been granted to him and he is limited and he is on a short leash and he will only be allowed to attack us when God already knows it will produce good in our lives and the lives of people watching us. Well, friends, finally, in addition to the power that God has given to people, to animals and to angels, he has also woven his incredible power into the universe itself. In other words, the energy that pulses from the sun to warm the earth and to grow our food and to give health to our bodies finds its source in the omnipotent God. The gravitational force that moves the oceans and the tides back and forth, in and out, it finds its source in almighty God. The power that drives the wind and fire and earthquakes, its source all originated with God. And all that power finds its source in the omnipotent, unlimited, unrivaled, almighty God and all creation is subject to him. In other words, as powerful as the sun is, as powerful as the universe is, you could take all the power in the universe, all the power of people, all the power of animals and angels, put it all together and it's still insignificant compared to God. And it's all subject to him. 
By way of example, I think we're all familiar with how Jesus dealt with a fierce storm that whipped up, whipped up on the Sea of Galilee that threatened to sink him and his disciples on that stormy night. And the gospel writers tell us that Jesus stood up and listened to how they declare it. He rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they ceased and were calm. <laughs> what? Can you imagine what that would be like in the face of a tornado? Just go, stop that. <gasps> what? Right? The clouds dissipate and the sun shines and the sky comes out and you could hear a whisper because there's no wind. And then listen to the, re to the response of the disciples. It says, and they, the disciples, they were afraid and they marveled and they said to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the waters and they obey him. The answer to their question, the omnipotent God, God alone commands the power of the universe and the universe must bow before him when he says to be ceased and to be calmed. And then finally, as I mentioned last week, the same omnipotent God who spoke the universe into existence, one day we are told in scripture will remove every planet, every star, every galaxy, everything in this present universe, and that there's not a power in the universe that will be able to resist God's ability to unmake all of it with a word. John tells us in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and listen, there was found no place for them. Isaiah tells us he's gonna roll the whole thing up like a scroll. Revelation chapter 21, verse one tells us that there was a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because the former existed no more. And the point is that the omnipotent God, he gives power to people to animals, to angels, to, the, to nature itself, but he does not give away anything of himself. In other words, he's never depleted after giving to us. And when he gives power to people and to angels and nature, he doesn't deplete himself of the tiniest bit of his own power. He's not in the least diminished in his strength, nor is he weakened because his power is limitless. Let me illustrate it this way. Back in the day, and for you young people, you're gonna to have to really stretch your imagination, but there was a day when to turn your air conditioner on was to deplete your engine of power. <laughs> I remember many occasions driving up from Southern California towards San Francisco, and just outside of San Luis Obispo, you hit the, the quest of grade, long, steep grade. Back in the day, I'd be in my little Datsun 510, have the air conditioning running, everything's fine, until you hit that grade, and then all of a sudden, your, your engine's boom, and you're struggling to get up the hill, and you're realizing you're not gonna have power to get over this mountain. Why? Ah, because the air conditioner is draining power off the motor. So off goes the air conditioner, down go the windows, hanging out the side to try to stay cool, pouring water in yourself, just to make sure that engine has enough power to get you over the hill. The point is that with everything else in creation, when we exercise power, we deplete ourselves. Oh, you know what it's like to, to go out and run or exercise or, or take a walk or play football, whatever. You start with a full bunch of energy and by the end of it, it's like you just need to lay down and <laughs> I mean, kind of like recuperate because you have depleted yourself of energy. But not so with God. When he gives, he doesn't give anything of himself away. He retains all of the power that he gave because all the power that he gave remains his own and one day the Bible tells us will return to him again because forever he must remain what he forever has been, the Lord God omnipotent. He has all power. Well, that's pretty cool and pretty exciting but I don't wanna send you home just with theology. I wanna send you home with something practical. In other words, how in the world does the fact that God has all power influence my life and your life and the decisions I make every day? What benefit can you and I as a child of God count on now that you and I know that God is almighty, the one before whom all other powers must surrender? I mean, it's great stuff, but what does it mean in my life? Well, let me begin by first acknowledging 
that it would be impossible to number the times that God has used his power to be a blessing and a benefit to his people. Because to do that, to try to figure out how many times God has worked, we'd have to take the the lives of every believer from the Garden of Eden to this present day and then multiply the lifetimes of all those people by the seconds that they live, like tick, 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 multiplied by every person that's ever believed in God, multiply all of that out, and then, right, that would give us the total number of times that God has used his powers of benefit and blessing our lives. And that's because the reality is that all day, every day, in ways that you and I will never know until we reach heaven's shores, God's power is working behind the scenes in ways that we cannot see on our behalf to protect us, to provide for us, and to open opportunities for us that men and demons may have closed. And so while I can't hope to count and enumerate all of the different ways that God's omnipotence has been a blessing to his people, I can send you home with a couple concrete examples of how God's omnipotence is a blessing and a benefit to each of us this morning. Number one, God's omnipotence gives us courage to stand for our convictions. That is, once a man or a woman or a child comes to know in their heart that God has all power and that there's nothing and there's no one who can touch a child of God outside of his will, that person is then able to face even death with unshakable courage. And I could point you to many examples, but let me just give you three. I think of the Hebrew children there in Daniel chapter three who when threatened with a fiery furnace if they refuse to bow to Nebuchadnezzar's idol, they simply said, and I paraphrase, dude, we are not bowing to your stupid idol because we serve the almighty God and he is able to deliver us from your hand. And even if he doesn't, you need to know we're not bound down to you or anyone because we serve the almighty and the all-powerful God. In other words, they counted their lives as nothing. They knew and were courageous that God could protect them if he chose not to. They were going home anyway. They weren't worried about it. I think Gideon, God tells him, hey, there's an army out there of 135,000 Midianite soldiers intent on taking everything that is, is in Israel. And so Gideon is told to attack that army with 300 men. <laughs> I mean, those numbers just don't work well for me. <laughs> I mean, what? Or I think of the young Galilean virgin, Mary, who knew the danger that she was in showing up pregnant engaged with Joseph, but Joseph knew it wasn't his child. Oh, that's an automatic death sentence under the old covenant. Death by stoning for an adulteress. And the point is that with the Hebrew children or Gideon or Mary, all of them faced certain death, but in every case, the heroes of the faith, they found courage to stand for their, their, their convictions because they knew that God had all power. As you read the pages of scripture, you find that the heroes of the faith in the Old and the New Testament, that when they were fearful, God always gave but one word of encouragement. He said, do not be afraid. Why? For I'm with you. And we would stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, who would be with them? (laughs) The omnipotent, the unrivaled, the undefeatable God under whose wing the heroes of the faith and you and I find perfect safety and who through his limitless power gives to his servants the courage to stand for our convictions and for him. Number two, God's omnipotence assures us that God is able to fill every promise that he has made. And not just the promises that are general in scripture to all who believe, but those individual promises that he has made to you and I that today you may be tempted to feel or to believe that God will not fulfill. And that's because the world and the devil work all day, every day to sow doubt into our hearts that they might shake our confidence in God's ability to keep the promises that he has made to us. And so in response to the world and the devil, God reminds us in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 14, listen to the promise he has made. He says, the Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have planned it, so it will be. As I have purposed, so it will happen. 
In other words, God declares in the face of the doubt that the world and the devil would bring, he says, listen, stop, think, children of God. There is no one and there is nothing who is able to overcome or to put an obstacle in my way that would keep me from advancing my purpose and my plans and fulfilling every promise that I've made to you. Again, whether it's corporately to the church at large or to us individually, there is nothing and there is no one that can hinder him. And therefore... You and I can put stock in the many promises that God has made to us, including that beautiful promise that he's going to bring us safely home to that home that he's prepared for us in eternity, and he's going to do it because he has all power. And then thirdly, God's omnipotence reminds us that he is able to care for us and to meet us in our every need in life. Now, again, there are a multitude of scriptures that I could point to that revealed that Father heart of God, that omnipotent God who can move and act on behalf of his children. But one rather obscure verse captures God's providential care for you and I in a way that is so beautiful and unexpected, and I think you may have never thought of it this way that I must share it this morning. And that verse is found in the third chapter of the tiny little prophet Zephaniah, verse 17. Now listen to what God promises to you and I through Zephaniah. He says, the Lord your God is in your midst. Who? He says, the mighty one. That is the omnipotent one. He who is unlimited in power and might and strength. He says, the omnipotent, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with love. And then listen to this promise he will sing over, or he will rejoice over you with singing. Now again, friends, I think it's safe to say that if you and I were sitting down over coffee uh, at one of the wonderful coffee shops in town, and we're on our third mocha or our third espresso, and we're feeling a little bit, you know, inspired at that moment, we might, if somebody was to say, well, give me an example of God's omnipotence, we would think, whoa, hey, let's look at the creation. Whoa, let's look at the flood during Noah's time where he destroyed all the wicked of the world. Or maybe we'd point to the Red Sea and how Moses parted it by the power of God. Or maybe we'd point to the New Testament and the resurrection of Christ from the dead. All of those demonstrate the omnipotence of God and are sufficient to bring us to our knees in humble adoration of praise of the God who has all power. But Zephaniah reveals a surprising truth, a wondrous reality that I would bet most of us have never ever associated with the unsurpassed sovereign ruler of the universe, he that is omnipotent, has all power, Zephaniah says, he will rejoice over you as singing. Listen to the verse again, Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God in your midst. And again, he identifies himself, the mighty one, that is the omnipotent one, will save. And he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you, brothers and sisters in Christ, with singing. Wouldn't you like to hear that song today? I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could somehow tune these ears into the spiritual, you know, the spiritual wavelength and hear the voice of God as he begins to sing over us this morning? I wonder if it's a lullaby that he sings over us each night to drive away the worries that would rob us of our peace and the sleep that we so desperately need. Or maybe each morning as we wake up, he sings a battle hymn to impart courage that we might be able to face the challenges to our faith each day. Or maybe he sings a love song to stir our hearts for heaven where our beloved has promised a place for us that we would no longer be tied to the things of this earth nor put our hope in the things of this world, but we'd be so stirred in our affection for the Lord that all we would desire is his presence in the place he's prepared for us. Or perchance, and I think this might be accurate, that the words the Almighty sings over each and every one of his children is uniquely fit to the need that you have at that moment. In other words, whatever it is that you and I face in life, whatever we're dealing with in life, he has a song for you and me that perfectly matches our need. And it's released by the power of the Almighty omnipotent God. And so Zephaniah reminds us 
that God is almighty and he sings over us today. And it reminds us that because he is omnipotent, because he possesses all power, there is no circumstance or situation in your life or mine that God can't handle. The encouragement then, let him. No words, stop striving, stop trying to do it on your own, stop trying to make it work. You let God be your defender. Let God be the one to handle that circumstance or situation in your life that is bigger than you are. His omnipotence reminds us there's no enemy in your life that he cannot defeat. And so trust him to do it. There is no bondage to sin in your life that he cannot break. And so bring those chains and present them to him and let the all-powerful, the almighty God release you from those chains. The reality is that God the Almighty, who by the great power he possesses, spoke the earth and the universe and all that is in them into existence, the one whose power is unrivaled, the one against whom no one and nothing can prevail, that is the Almighty, the omnipotent God who sings over you and me this morning. We rejoice and be glad because of his care for us that's expressed in his loving omnipotence and the voice that sings over us all day, every day, until one day in heaven we hear it with our own ears. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we stand in awe of your omnipotence. And Father, we have scratched just the surface of all that we might know and understand of your great and unlimited power. My prayer, Father, this morning is that I have somehow been able to honor you and the reality of who you are and the power that you possess in such a way that your children this morning would be encouraged and blessed and that they would leave here excited to know that the almighty God who has no rival sings over them this morning, protects them, watches over them, is working behind the scenes to open opportunities that the enemy has closed and to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so Lord, may we leave here today with great joy and gladness and in response to the song you sing over us, may we have a song in our heart to sing back to you and bless you for all that you mean to us. And Father, I pray for any man, any woman, any child, any person who might be listening online or who might listen to this study in the days ahead who doesn't yet know you. Lord, would you remind them this moment that they are not fit to take on this world, that they are too weak to wrestle with Satan, that they do not possess the power to find their way to heaven on their own, but that only in you, the all-powerful, the almighty God, is their safety and salvation. And I pray for anyone who doesn't yet know you that today would be the day that they confess that they are weak and that they desperately need you, the God of all power, to save them and to make them a child of yours and then to watch over and protect them until you bring them safely to heaven's shores. And Father, we thank you for all of this, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Paul Lester. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Paul's teaching ministry by visiting ccmodesto.com.